Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast that explores the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. Not too many people can draw out my silly side like Goff of BeernutsProductions.com can. Back for his 15th appearance on the show to promote his 27th film, Goff shares several behind-the-scenes stories about his latest film, Couples Therapy. From buying provocative costumes and respecting actors to on-set hilarity and shenanigans, Goff, as always, brings his wisdom as an independent filmmaker to the show. He even takes a few minutes to be serious as he talks about maintaining confidence as an artist, taking risks, handling criticism, and how to live a creative life. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 632. Don't forget to give your consent. I did, didn't I? I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, sorry. Well, you know, verbally I do. I mean, you've <laughs> never been, uh, you know, nasty to me in any kind of uh, way before. But That's you right. never know. This might, this might be more of a hard-hitting kind of Pierce Morgan, Joe Rogan type of a situation where you just, you know, rip shit out of me for the entire hour. Not only am I going to pull shit out of my ass, I'm going to pull it out of yours transatlantic style. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, <laughs> in a in a funny kind of way. That's right. Well, Goff, welcome back to Getting Work to Work. How you doing? I'm very well, Chris. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. At this point, you've got to have filled the punch card. Well, still waiting for my free sub, but you know, I'm sure it's in the mail. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a footlong joke that I could make, but you know. <laughs> Given the topic of your latest film, that might be a problem. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to hear you make some smutty innuendo remarks. I think it's long overdue. Yeah, I've already lost the joke. It's like floating away in my you know, room here like a fart in the wind. <laughs> I'm only good for the occasional joke, and I've already lost it. I'm just not funny like you, Goff. Oh well, well, thank you. I, I do, I do try my best. My uh, my career depends on it. <laughs> yeah, all, not only your career, but our entertainment relies upon you being funny. That's, that's and I, I try my best. I can assure you. So I I thought today we would start with a really kind of deep question because as this is like what your twenty third film. <laughs> uh, twenty seventh. How dare what? you sell me short? Oh my gosh, twenty seventh film. Where do you get the confidence to keep going? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, where do I get? Well, I have confidence in my abilities and my skills and also uh, like my business. I mean, I get downloads and so people are enjoying my work. So, and I love doing what I do. So why wouldn't I continue? Yeah. You know, I mean, it seems like a bit of, I mean, it's kind of a silly uh answer to your question i guess there's no real deep meaningful answer to it i mean i get downloads so that tells me that i'm making entertainment that people enjoy because i have to pay to enjoy it so clearly if people are putting their hand in their pocket and giving you money they like what you do so that's great so i get that sort of uh what's the right word not gratitude is the wrong word but uh, reinforcement i guess is the right word i get that sort of reinforcement and then i've always had confidence in my own ability because uh, I think we've discussed this before, where I am a staunch believer 
that everybody has a talent and a skill. And then once you find out what that talent and skill is, it, then it's up to you to make the best of that talent and skill. And I think, uh, I mean, to take myself out of the equation, I mean, some people can open up the hood of a car and they just sort of instinctively know that that goes into that and to get it humming real nice, you just plug that into that and tinker with that and all of a sudden she's going to purr like a kitten, so to speak, you know? So, but me, I'm not mechanically minded, you know? It's not <laughs> who I am. It's not in me. But so I found early on in life what my skill was, which was writing and telling stories and, and being creative. And so I just uh, ran with that. And like I say, I've got confidence in my own ability and uh, the world currently uh, seems to agree by the fact that they download my stuff. So that's, that's good. That is good. Do you ever get uh, that paralyzing fear that you're an imposter or are you just like, you know, like you, are you, have you just ascended to some other level that the rest of us haven't? That's what I'm trying to get. I, th I think everybody, every human being has that fear that they're a complete fraud. And one day they're going to wake up, and uh, they're going to realize that this was a big joke and everybody was making fun of them the whole time. <laughs> I think everybody, no, I'm serious. I'm sure everybody has had that fear. Absolutely. I mean, have you had said fears? Oh, yeah. I have, I have those fears all the time. And, and I feel like as I progress through my c career, those fears sometimes get stronger. Like there, there's a, a moment where I'm at right now where I have these ideas. I've I've done something like them before, but now that I'm a little older and maybe not as dumb, you know, <laughs> I have the that fear of like, why do you want to risk doing this project when you can be safe over here? Now, well, see, yeah, that's that's true. So, uh, my, I mean, not that you asked for my advice. Uh, oh, I but, would love uh, your I'll I'll give it to you anyway, and. Uh, <laughs> That, that like I, I get where you're coming from. So in psychology, for example, you will find the older you get, obviously the less risk-taking behavior you will have because you're more mature. And also, like uh, for example, uh, where you would sort of fight for the cause and fight the man in your 20s, in the 30s, you're a bit more chilled out in 40s and so because, you know, well, you don't have the same energy levels and all that sort of stuff. So that's normal to feel like that. But you have to push through. You have to say, well, you know, like I want to do this particular project. I know I've got the skills to do this project. I've done it before. I can do it again. I think this is going to be like if it's me, for example, I think this is going to be really entertaining, really funny. People are really going to laugh. So the only person who loses really is me if I don't make it. So I'm damaging myself by not following through and, and growing a pair and doing it, you know. So you just got to. Uh, in Australia, I'm sure it's an old phrase: grab the bull by the horns and just just go at it. And that's that's what you got to do. Because you are right. There, there have been times where I've been in rehearsals with actors, and you know, obviously with my films, uh, the the comedy is uh, is a bit out there and a bit abrupt and all that sort of stuff. And I hear them saying the lines and stuff, and I'm having a bit of a chuckle. And then, but you're right. In the back of my brain, sometimes, not all the time, not very often actually, but sometimes. In the back of my brain, I will have a voice go, what the hell am I doing? What, what, is, what is wrong with me that I'm making these people say these things? What, what, surely, surely this is 
a nonsense thing to do. But then I disregard that completely and I plow on through because, again, I have confidence in my ability and my skills to do what I do. So, you know, and, and also the other thing, like we've discussed before, I don't really have a huge uh, tolerance for uh, people's opinions who I don't care about. Like if I don't read comments on social media because I really I don't care. Now, there are a group of people in my life who I do care what they think. And so if they were to come to me and say, hey, Goff, you know, your last film wasn't so flash. I think that if you had have done this and this instead of that and that, it would have been a lot better and I would take their opinion into consideration. But, I mean, some bloke who lives in Perth who I've never met before, what do I care what he thinks? I don't give a shit what he thinks. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, if he likes it, he likes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. I mean, who gives a shit? I mean, it doesn't affect me. I'm never going to meet the man, so who cares? So I suppose to go back to your original point, there needs to be a level of fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, just there needs to be a bit of that in in your thinking like just go for it see what happens if it comes off great if it doesn't well you've learned a lesson which is also a good thing because learning lessons is also helpful in life absolutely and what i'm what i'm i'm going to paraphrase here what you just said stop getting naked in the bathtub and eating ice cream in like the fetal position just get well you could as long as there's a goal at the end of that tunnel like i I want to set the Guinness Book of Records for the most ice cream eaten naked in a bathtub, which I'm sure at this stage some <laughs> moron out there in, I don't know, Saskatchewan has decided yeah. he's going to set that world record. And you might go, hey, you know what? I was born to make that record mine. So you <laughs> go for it, Chris. <laughs> I love how we were talking about maturity and very quickly we descended out of you know, maturity into just joy and mirthful living. See, I, I had that effect on people. <laughs> yes, you do. And speaking <laughs> of speaking of maturity, your latest film is about couples therapy. Very mature of you. Well, I would have thought so until you watch it. But um, <laughs> yes, so essentially, uh, Nick and Sophie, who are the two characters, sadly, they have found themselves in couples therapy as their their marriage isn't going so crash hot. So uh, we, we go through all of the, the issues that they've had. So essentially, it's a lot, uh, it, it's a sketch-based comedy kind of a, a film. So you have the, the setup and then like, uh, you know, Nick will say, well, she does this. And then we have a sketch of her doing something. And then she says, oh, yeah, but he does this. And there's a sketch of the dude doing something. So it is, this, so if you like sketch-based comedy, this is kind of the film for you. But yeah, that's essentially the, the meat and potatoes of it. And then there's a little bit of a twist towards the end uh, at the film too. So there's a bit of a bit of a twist to give it a little bit of a difference uh, than just the usual sketch kind of comedy that people might be used to. There's a bit of a, a twist in the tail at the end. Well, and, and what I love about that twist without giving too much away is on one hand, it's like, okay, how did like, how was this conceived? Was this was this a moment where you're like, well, shit, we're 14 minutes in, I got to come up with something else, or was it just that product of like that iterate of your process where you're like, you know, it'd be really funny. Yeah, no, no. So it, it wasn't the first one because uh, sometimes it is where you write something, you're like, oh, I need to put something else here because I've run out of 
because I need more more filling. But no, that wasn't no. This one I had this idea from the very start because um, I thought it would be funny uh, mm-hmm. to start with, and I thought it would be a good twist. And I also uh, it's a bit of a breaking the fourth wall, which I, I kind of like doing as well um and uh, there's a bit of a twist where people can interpret their own sort of ending to a point uh which is cool as well so mm-hmm. there was a few different reasons but the number one reason it was like one of the opening ideas i had when i was well I, I should go back to the beginning when i was uh starting to write this particular film so book club which we've discussed a previous film of mine that's been one of my highest selling movies. And I think it's because people enjoyed the sketch comedy aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do a sketch comedy based film again. I'll do another one of those because book club did well. So I'll do another one. So what's a good uh, place that lends itself to that? Well, couples therapy. Cause like I say, you can have set up sketch, set up sketch. And then I'm like, well, I don't want it to be the same as book club. So I need it to have a bit of a twist, a bit of something different, at the end or somewhere during there it needs to be there needs to be something different that makes it stand out makes it a bit different so uh that was my idea with the 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 ending to have a bit of a twist in the tail of the ending so that that was all uh, a part of uh, the plan yeah and and what i love about that too is is i i don't want to spoil the the where it goes but I love the fact that when you break the fourth wall, you bring in this whole line of like Aaron Pearl and how he doesn't have a role. And yet the last half of the movie is him in this role. It's so meta. It's so hilarious. Yes. Yeah. I, I do. I do enjoy irony very much. So in, in my films, I think uh, you've watched enough of my films to know that uh, irony is something that I, uh, I enjoy very much. So yes. And actually, it's funny. You're not the first one who has uh, described it as being very meta, which I yeah. like. Which uh, I think that's really cool. <laughs> so, as I'm as I watch your films, I take notes just to kind of see what stands out as as I'm watching this. Apart from the obvious jokes, of course. So, the first line that I wrote down that just cracked me up was this line that Ashley says to you. He's so dumb, he missed the point of the flashback. (laughs) I mean, of of course, in context, in in Ashley's voice, it's much funnier than what I just said. Was it just like that was the funniest line in the whole film for me? (laughs) Crikey, okay, fair enough. You know, there was some really hilarious sketches involved in this film. You know that, right, Chris? But that line, just the way it was delivered, the timing of it, it was perfect. (laughs) <laughs> well again it's uh, another little breaking of the fourth wall type of uh, type of thing which i like to do but yeah no, i just uh, I, I just thought it was uh well i thought it was funny when i wrote it so that's why i wrote it there's not much i can really say to that chris i appreciate that you like the joke yes I, I did like the joke and there there was also a moment in the first flashback where everyone's favorite actor comes back into to the show al and, your, fa- uh, your favorite actor. He loves uh, you, by the way. I'm going to tell you a true story, and then you can ask me your question. Okay. So uh, Al's a bit of an unusual guy. He won't mind me saying that. He's uh, he's not uh, – I-, I like Al a lot. He's actually very smart. You should maybe look to get him on the show because what he's done is he's realized that being a full-time actor, you know, 
probably isn't going to be enough to support his family. So he got himself a guitar and he plays in a few uh, clubs doing, you know, single and duo guitar and singing. And then he's tried his hand at a bit of stand-up comedy. He does acting. He's done some voiceover work, which is how I actually originally came across him was I heard his voiceover reel and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I got him in for an audition, but uh, for the a film many, many times ago. But um, yeah, so he's actually smart enough to realize, okay, well, I'm, I'm quite a creative dude. And so if I put my uh, mind to it and put my finger in all of these different pies, I can do what I love and be nice and creative and always have some kind of income coming in from somewhere. So if I have a bad month with acting, I got my music gigs. If I have a bad month with music gigs, I got a voiceover job or a commercial that pays really well. So he's been really smart in the way he structured his uh, his because essentially when you're in this industry as a as a performer, you are self-employed. You do have an agent, but essentially you are self-employed. The agent can only do so much. Plus the agent's a middleman. It's not necessarily your boss. So Al's been smart enough to realize that he's self-employed, so he has to work at being employed as anybody who is self-employed needs to. So I like that uh, I like that he did that. But going back to my point was so uh, I said to him the first time you discussed him, which was uh, the Christian Victoria film where he played Harold Tut, and you said, oh, I really liked Al's performance. And so I was having a chat to Al. I said, oh, I did an interview on this podcast and dude was – chatting about you. I thought you were really good. Oh, I'll, I'll have a listen to that. I'll, I'll listen. I said, good for you, Al. So he listens and he, he, he enjoyed listening to the compliments bestowed upon him by yourself. And then uh, a couple of films go by and you talk about him again. And I said, Al, when we were at rehearsals for this one, I said, Al, you know that uh, Chris Martin was chatting about you again. Two times now he's talked you up. Oh, I'm going to have to subscribe to his podcast. So the moral to the story is, Chris, just give everybody compliments and your podcast subscriptions will go through the roof. But um, you yeah, want there's to, so much that we can learn from Al right there. <laughs> <laughs> you wish to discuss Al further. So, so please, I'm more than happy to talk about Al. Excellent. Well, first off, it sounds like Aaron Pearl playing Aaron Pearl needs to learn that lesson that Al has learned about being a multi, you know, hyphenate diverse performer in Australia. Well, yes, yes, that's a that's a valid comment because, uh, as we discovered, he's only done an online gambling commercial <laughs> this month. That's all he's done. He's only had three auditions. Well, three auditions and one online gambling commercial. <laughs> so in that first scene, you're having a conversation with your wife. Yes. And uh, Al's just kind of in the, the, the right third of the screen. And... What I love about his performance was, I don't know if this was an ad lib moment or a scripted moment, but he kind of lifts his shirt a little bit and starts <laughs> tickling his belly button. <laughs> it was just a really, it was one of those moments where like, it, it brings your eye away from the, the conversation going on. It's like, that's hilarious. That was like a comedic gold mine right there. Not, not to mention a lint gold mine. <laughs> well when we were filming that scene obviously that was filmed at the end of the day that was the last scene we shot uh because i had to be late uh, for several reasons uh location being one and time that the scene is set being another but uh yes so we'd done a few takes and we were struggling a touch because uh, all of our brains as in ashley and me not so much al 
but Ashley and me, our brains were a bit tired because uh, we've been going all day. Uh, but Al was reasonably fresh. But um, I couldn't like her character. <laughs> well, no, no, she she wasn't tired at that part of the. She was <laughs> she was good to go. But um, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so Al comes in and uh, we we nailed that take, and I was very very happy. I said, "Oh, that's fantastic!" because uh, we all killed it. And then uh, Melanie, who was the production assistant. Uh, she's just killing herself with laughter. And I'm like, well, I appreciate the support that uh, you enjoyed the scene and all. She's like, no, for some reason, Al decided to play with his belly button throughout that scene. I'm like, really? She said, yeah, it looked really funny. So it's all totally cool. But yes, that uh, definitely, I didn't tell him uh, to play with his belly button. I just told his general direction was to look <laughs> bored and annoyed and just be uh, sort of chilling at the side there. But yes, he's taken it upon himself to play with his belly button for reasons only known to Al but uh, you are quite right it is very funny so it does work so it all it all ended well yes I I love that even more because it shows I for, for, we've gotten a very clear picture on how you direct and how you stay true to the page but also allow for those moments of improv and you know hilarity to ensue oh yeah no look I'm not unreasonable. I, I, I make sure that the, uh, well, I am completely unreasonable, <laughs> but no, I, I make sure that the actors, I, I always I say to them, I heard this phrase years and years and years ago, and I'm sure it annoys people when I say it, but I don't care because I like it, which is if it's not on the page, it ain't on the stage. <laughs> so I just like it. I don't know why. I just do. But uh, I tell everybody that if something doesn't sound, so I'll give you a great example, actually. So Jackie, who played uh, Amy, who was the woman who seemed to know a, a lot about my medical problems, <laughs> uh, she's Canadian. So as you could tell, she wasn't putting on that accent. She's a Canadian human being uh, who has a Canadian accent. So when I was rehearsing with her, there were some phrases that just were not sounding good coming out of her mouth because with they're like Australian phrases being said with a Canadian accent. It just sounded weird. And so... I was like, okay, we need to change that phrase. What would be another phrase we can use? What's something more natural that means the same thing? And she said, oh, what if I said this? I said, oh, absolutely, put that in. So, and there was there was about three that we made changes to. Uh, two or three, yeah, three. So, uh, yeah, so I'm not unreasonable. If something's not sounding right, and like that, you know, he decided to play with his belly button. <laughs> Melanie said it was really funny, and when we looked at the back, it was really funny. So I'm not going to make them do it again. Just, I mean, it worked. Why wouldn't you keep it? It would be silly not to. So yeah, it, uh, it was funny. So it stayed. It was all good. I love too that as you produce more and more films, you're introducing new actors to the Beer Nuts Productions roster. And so this was your first time working with Ashley. What surprised you the most about her? Well, it's a difficult role to play because every sketch she needed to have a different type of personality. So I would get actors in for auditions and they would like nail the couples therapy uh, bits, but then some of the sketches they just couldn't get or they'd, they'd nail that first scene and be, you know, real sexy and whatnot, but then the couples therapy, they couldn't be the angry bitchy girl or whatever it might be. That They were having trouble nailing all of the material. They could do bits of it, but not all of it. And so Ashley was pretty much the only person that came to an audition that could do all of it. So it was really, again, it was really a no-brainer for me. Uh, yeah, 
poor Ashley hasn't had a lot of luck in regards to agents because she's been around for a long time. But the reason why I hadn't come across her is because she'd had a couple of dud uh, talent agents. And so now she's got a good one and she got sent to me and uh, I hired her straight away. So, yeah, she was terrific. And I'd happily work with her again because she was off camera. She was, I mean, I made her do some pretty outrageous things and, uh, and wear some pretty outrageous costumes. And at no point did she ever complain or anything of that nature. She was a, a real delight to work with the entire time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the costume choice and the people-pleasing scene uh, alone, hilarious scene. But yes, it, it was definitely, you know, a, a revealing costume. <laughs> yeah, well, there was that. And also, this will make you laugh as well, because this is a very funny story. So she has to wear a French maid's outfit as well, as you saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've gone up to her house because she needed about seven or eight different costumes. So I said, well, we'll see what you've got and what you don't have we'll order online for you. So we're going through the different outfits that she needs and all that sort of stuff. And I said, when we got to the French maid outfit, I said, well, obviously, I'm going to assume I'm private life is obviously none of my business, but I will make the safe assumption that you don't own one of those in real life. And so we'll have to order one online for you. And she says to me, well, actually, Goff, there's a sex store about two blocks down if you want to go there, I'm sure they'd have something like that and we can just buy it and try it on. It'll be a lot easier. I said, well, if you're comfortable doing that, then that would be obviously a lot easier. So we head on down to the sex store, this actress and myself, because that's totally appropriate. And <laughs> we we go in and we ask, you know, do you have it? Yeah, we got it. And all the accessories, like the little uh, duster thing that she had, all that sort of stuff. Yep, got all of that. <clears throat> so, okay, great. Tries it on. Fits are perfect, fantastic. So as the woman is putting it in the bag for us to leave, and just as we're about to leave, the woman behind the counter says, have fun, you two. And I said, <laughs> we will. And Ashley's slowly dying inside. Oh, my gosh. Uh, right, right there would be social media gold right there would be an Atrix and a director visit a sex shop. Because <laughs> at, at no time did I tell her, that it, that it was for a film and that she was an actress. So, yes. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, being the jerk that I am, when she says, have fun, you two, I'm like, we will. <laughs> and Ashley's like, please, can we leave now? I'm like, yeah, yes, we can. <laughs> yeah, uh, She hits hard, it looks like, too, because there were a couple of moments where it looked like she really hit you. Oh, with, with, uh, with, with the flowers, you mean? With the, no, in the couples therapy scene, like when you're sitting on the couch, like oh. she hit you pretty hard a couple of times. Oh, yeah, but I'm a big boy. I can take it. I mean, you know, I've had worse things happen to me. You know, let's be honest. And let, hey, I should make the old joke. Usually I pay $100 for that kind of discipline. She was giving it to me for free. <laughs> there, there was a scene where I'm like, I think golf works out. <laughs> well, well, th thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I you're do welcome. my best. Yeah, well done. <laughs> well, there there was a line where you you were talking about the foundation of every great relationship, and I know what the character says. I want to know what Goff, the man's, the writer, the 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 genius behind Beer Nuts, has to say about the foundation of every great relationship. Well, what's the line in the film? I've got no idea what you're talking about now. When, when did I ever? <laughs> what what what's the line in the film? I, I think it was something to the the effect of like tits were the the oh, thing okay. that every great uh, relationship was built upon. Uh, 
Actually, I've got a funny story about that scene too. So uh, that was filmed in my, so I, I share an office space. So there's a massive, well, actually, you, pro- you saw it in the film. All of those warehouses when Aaron's doing his uh, transition walk, mm-hmm. all of those warehouses have, well, I reckon there'd be about 200 businesses and I'm one of them in those warehouses. So the woman that actually runs the show, that actually owns the building, uh, she's, she's a very nice lady called Candace. Uh, shout out to Candace, and uh, she uh, she was upstairs uh, just doing her own work, because we filmed that on the Sunday, obviously, so nobody would be around. So she's just upstairs, just you know, emailing, doing whatever she does. And obviously, uh, during that scene, I, I do uh, mention Ashley's breasts uh, in a rather aggressive manner. And uh, so, can so as we're packing up. Candace comes down and she says to me, uh, Goff, uh, I couldn't help but listen in. And I heard you say something about her tits. And I thought that can't be right. And then I listened again when you did it again. And I thought, yes, he really did say that. I said, yes. <laughs> I said, you should really start downloading some of my films, Candace, so you'll understand <laughs> the kind of nonsense that goes on. But, uh, but yes. Uh, to answer your question about the foundations of a great relationship, well, I think I summed it up perfectly in that film, surely. It's just uh, all about the physical and not at all about the emotional or the, uh, you know, all the other stuff that goes along with it. It should be all purely physical in nature. <laughs> but even though you're saying that, I do get I do get a glimpse at what you really think too. But you know, beneath the surface, when you're talking about, you know, how you know you're very aware of what it looks like from the outside as the director working with your actors, it's a very business transaction. Not in that kind of business sense, but in in the sense of, you know, you you take it seriously. You treat people with respect, even though, oh, yeah. you know, people yeah. are like, oh, he's just being sexist. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, look, you, you, you actually you, you actually stumble on a very good point because the one thing that frustrates me more than anything else. So a lot of people will uh, well, no, I shouldn't say a lot of people. Some people within the local film industry uh, don't like me because of the content that I produce. They don't find it funny, which is totally fine. But then they will uh, naturally assume that I don't treat my actors with dignity and respect, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I make a very, I mean, when we're walking, <laughs> when we're walking through uh, the streets to get to the location to film the first sketch, and Ashley is dressed in a, quite a revealing outfit, I made sure that the crew and everybody surrounded her so that she felt absolutely safe, so that if anybody was to pass us on the street, they A, wouldn't see her, and if they did, they would know that she's in a crowd of people. We've got film equipment. This isn't anything dodgy. This is absolutely totally fine. And more that she felt safe so that they wouldn't be yelling stuff out at her or anything like that. I mean, I I respect her as a person and as an artist. I'm not having people disrespect her. So, you know, I, I do. that. That's one thing that really irritates me is just because I might produce jokes that may be inappropriate in nature to some people that doesn't make me uh, inappropriate in real life and treat people badly. I mean, another example I can give is I'm very firm on the fact, because I've had people say to me, can I come and work on your film? I'll do it for free. And I will say no, 
that won't happen. There has never been anybody work on a beer nuts production for free. Everybody's been paid. Now they have sometimes they don't get paid a lot of money because I'm not a million dollars Steven Spielberg kind of guy, but they will always get paid. There will always be some kind of fee that they will that they will receive. I will always make sure people are paid. I will always make sure people are fed, and I will always make sure that people are treated respectfully. I mean, there there has been instances on my set where there may have been an actor or a crew member say something inappropriate to another actor or crew member, and that person has either been sacked or something has happened to rectify that situation. Because, again, I'm not uh, – I, I am very big on those sorts of things. It might, uh, I, mean, I mean, I understand having a disability myself. I understand what it feels like to be discriminated against and mm-hmm. be denied opportunities based on a disability With in my case – and I know how that can affect somebody's mental health with not being treated respectfully and not being heard and not being, uh, yeah, just treated with dignity and respect and having themselves heard in the way that they should be. So I understand how that feels. And I don't want people working for me feeling that way because that's not appropriate. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very strict on all of those things. I, I do run a very tight ship on many, many levels. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And and again, I just have the utmost respect for you because of that, because I appreciate, I, I think it's that trust that you, and you know, the fact that you have ethics and standards and a trust built with your crew and your cast that allows the humor to shine. Well, yeah, you, you've probably, again, I, I, I didn't think of it like that, but you're quite right. I, I suppose, uh, they feel comfortable delivering outrageous material because they understand, they see the big picture and they understand that, A, it's a piece of entertainment and that people will find this funny and also that they can see the very serious nature in which I do my business. And so they understand that, okay, this guy isn't just being a dick. He actually, <laughs> the, the, he, he's, he means business and this is an actual proper setup and this is a proper thing and I, I get the humour and, okay, this will this will all be fine. So, they give the the jokes the respect that they deserve, you know. So yes, I hadn't actually uh, thought of it like that, but you are absolutely spot on. We touched briefly on the switch, the 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 shift from the beginning half of the film to the latter half of the film, and all I want to say about that is, as a viewer, as someone who's been married for eighteen years. I saw the humor in that last half that maybe I didn't see in the first half. And so I just wanted to say that I appreciated the way that the shift occurred because I was able to see that humor in a different way. I appreciate that. And and also the humor is very different. Mm -hmm. So the first two thirds of the film are ridiculous, hilarious sketches, whereas the last third of the film I would argue is much more subtle in nature or as at least as subtle as Goff at Beer Nuts Productions can be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I loved the actress who played the wife, Tanya. Yeah. I mean, yeah, her vocal delivery was great, but I think more the the humor for me was in her res- her facial reactions and her body language. I mean, that's where all the humor was right there. <laughs> actually, this, this this may make you laugh, Chris. So uh, we actually filmed that scene because I usually have a couple of houses. I mean, I don't own the houses. I make that clear. But a couple of houses of people who I know 
where we film if I need to film stuff. So uh, the house where I was going to use for that bedroom scene uh, wasn't available to me for a couple of reasons. So, and I was scratching around, I just couldn't find another bedroom. So I ended up just hiring an Airbnb that was nearby. Uh, and so uh, we've got to the Airbnb. And so while the crew are setting up, I said to Aaron and Tanya, because there wasn't much for them to do with makeup and costuming. So I said to them, well, why don't you just go out on the front lawn and you guys can just run the scene a few times while we set up? Because they'd been rehearsed with me. So they knew how I want it delivered. So, you know, you guys just go out there and just run the lines a few times. So I say, okay. So then there's a knock on the bedroom door about two, three minutes later. And the guy who runs the Airbnb, he says, um, excuse me, Goff. I said, yeah. He said, uh, there's a couple on the front lawn bluing. They're having a terrible argument. Uh, is, is there a problem? I said, oh, no, they're supposed to be. That's totally fine. That's exactly what should be happening. It's all good. They're actors. They're just doing their thing. Oh, okay, that's okay. Then I thought there was a problem. I'm like, no, 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 we're all cool. <laughs> I mean, that should be on the poster right there. <laughs> Is there going to be a problem, Airbnb host? <laughs> but, you know, they turned out to be nice people, actually. we, uh, we they, they were very good Airbnb hosts. This also, I, I was thinking as well, because uh, I know you usually uh, have questions in regards to um, the script writing process, and I, I thought I must tell Chris as well, uh, just to preempt a, a question. Uh, so I've got a friend of mine, Donna, who's a psychologist. So when I had the idea to do uh, a, a film like this, I, I obviously I'm not in a long-term relationship myself. So I called up Donna and I'm like, Donna, when people come in to see you uh, as couples, what are the number one things they argue about? And I had a couple of them, right? You know, parenting and financial stresses and stuff. But then she's like, oh, they also like to argue about this and this and this. I'm like, okay, great. So, again, that was a, a nice handy resource to have, was a, a friend as a psychologist who can tell me what uh, what, what uh, people's marriages who are on the rocks, what they like to argue about. And uh, working with a child actor or a, a, a young adult actor, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the parents were right there when you have to have the child say certain words. <laughs> Did you, did you find that hilarious, did you? Because I thought that it was, was hilarious. <laughs> you, you do. It was everything that we would want a child actor to say, but then you know, obviously, Hollywood would never think to do that. <laughs> no, she was cool, and the mother was very cool too. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Layla, who's the little girl. Uh, she's eight years of old, eight years old. So uh, apparently, Brittany, the mother, told me that uh, the week leading up to the film. She was going around school telling everybody she's in a movie and then telling them what her line was. <laughs> That's fantastic. Isn't it though? Isn't that just fantastic? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so she was all about it. And she, she was a nice little kid too. She was really easy to work with. And she must have thought that this whole acting thing is like the easiest thing ever because she comes in because, uh, I again, I do run a tight ship. I never have people waiting. So it's all very clearly scheduled out. So they get in, they get their makeup done, they film their scene, they piss off because that's what I want. I don't want anybody hanging around. So uh, she comes in, she gets her makeup done, she sits down, we film a scene a couple of times. Then the couple of toys that we gave her in the film, I told her she could keep them because obviously I have no need for those toys. So I said, you can keep those two, two toys and uh, here's your money as well that you've earned. 
and you can go home now after like an hour of being on set. So she must think this acting thing's a piece of cake. You get money, you get <laughs> toys, you get to swear. I mean, what, what I'd miss a day of school. This is the greatest <laughs> job ever. So she was a she was a happy little girl. Yeah, that does sound great. I if I lived in Australia, could I be in one of your films? Well, if you were an eight-year-old girl, yes. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> No. I'm the furthest thing from <laughs> Chris, That's very Chris fails again. Yes, I do fail again. <laughs> no, but she was cool. And, and and to answer your question, obviously there are strict laws again uh, when you're going to work with an eight-year-old child. There's some very, very strict laws as well. There should be. There absolutely should be some strict laws. And of course, uh, you know, it was funny. So at the rehearsal, because obviously I made, I treated, I, I'm, I'm a, I've worked with children before in other beer nuts films and i'm a firm believer in when you work with children you treat them like an adult you shake their hand and you speak to them respectfully you don't talk down to them you make sure that they feel included and part of the team because they are mm -hmm. so and the same was done with her but she wanted her mum out of the room all the time uh, and obviously <laughs> legally her mum has to be there and i'm like i'm sorry sweetie but we can't have that you know your mum's got to sit in the corner there but you know and she says, oh, I just get really nervous when mum's there. And I'm like, oh, we'll just ignore her. Just pretend like she's not there and it'll, it'll be fine. And she was she was totally cool. But, yeah, like there are obviously very strict rules when you are going to work with kids. So, and obviously the first one being the parent always has to be in the room, always, which, yeah. I mean, even if that wasn't a, a law, I would insist on that happening anyway because that's <laughs> ethically the right thing to do. Uh, but no, uh, Brittany couldn't have been more chill because she was like, I'll, I'll leave, no worries. I said, no, 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 you sit, park your ass. We're all good. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, no, she was lovely to work with Brittany and she's been really nice on social media. She's written a few really nice comments about the film and the, the whole working process and all that sort of stuff. Because again, as you could well imagine, uh, I put the call out to all the agents to find a kid and, and I had three parents agree for their children to audition so i only had three to choose from so luckily for me uh layla came in and she's got a bit of sass like she's got some real attitude as this eight-year-old girl she's got some real attitude so she uh she pretty much nailed it from the audition onwards and i could tell from the audition when i was having a chat to her that she was going to be cool she wasn't going to be overawed by the situation so yeah she was mm -hmm. uh she was totally cool and Brittany, the mum was really lovely too you know, I don't know if I've asked this question, Goff, but, you know, pre-COVID, did you ever do like, uh, like releases or uh, like special showings when you release a film or was it all just kind of like online and... No, I've only done it once. Uh, so when I did the 90-minute documentary, I Will Not Go Quietly, uh, we got a cinema release up in Brisbane with that uh, at, a, at a privately owned cinema. Uh, and so we had a premiere and all that sort of stuff. So I've done that once. It would be cool. It has come to my mind a few times. It's just the money that it would cost to do it is the issue. But it has come to my mind to like rent a cinema and do like a beer nuts festival and have like four or five of the films play. Uh, and either you could have two or three play in a row and people pay and they see two or three back to back, or you could have like five or six play. Uh, and have little intermissions in between each and people can sort of come to whichever one they want to. But that has uh, crossed my mind a few times, but it's just the cost of like renting a cinema and doing all that and then hoping that you get ticket sales and all that sort of stuff. So 
that's not a priority, but it would be a cool thing to do. In the closing uh, credits of the movie, you thank Shelley and Ben Curtis yes. for their ongoing support. Uh, who are they? So uh, you will have seen their house on many. They, they were they're a couple of the people who I uh, raid their house. So uh, their house has been featured in about four or five Beer Nuts films now. So uh, the main house where you saw uh, all well all the scenes in this one pretty much uh, like with the little girl and all those scenes. <laughs> that's Ben and Shelley's house. Uh, yeah, book club, uh, Christian Victoria. Uh, there's probably been one or two others as well that don't come to mind. But, yeah, Shelley, actually, this is a really funny story real quick. Do you have time for a funny story? Because I always have time for funny stories. So, Shelley, uh, I've actually known Shelley since I was about six years old and she was three years old. So we grew up, <laughs> up about five houses down from each other. Uh, so I used to go around to their house because they had a brother, Michael, who was my age, and they had a trampoline and he had really cool toys and stuff. And so I used to play with them for about two or three years. And then Michael started bullying me and picking on me because of my eyesight. So I said, well, I don't want to play with him anymore. So I just stopped going over to their house. So I hadn't seen Shelly in 30 years, probably more. Well, no, about 30 years. And so I'm at the gym one day because, as you rightly point out earlier in our interview, I do work out on occasion, go to the gym and, uh, you know, throw my weight around. Uh, so <laughs> I I'm training at the gym and this lady comes up to me and she's like, oh, hi, Goff, how's things? And I'm like, oh, yeah, g'day, you, uh, good to whoever you are. And she seemed really friendly and we're just having a chat. And then we did a boxing class together and they, she's a strong girl, Shelley. So she's a captain in the Australian Armed Forces and she does like uh, she's done the Hawaiian Ironman, which is like an 11-hour endurance race twice. I, I, I said to her once because she's got two kids, I said, Shelley, what was, what was harder, childbirth or the uh, Hawaiian Iron Man? And she's like, Hawaiian Iron Man. I said, okay. Fair. <laughs> but, um, and she's got two foster kids and two of her own kids. So this is quite funny too. So uh, two of her foster kids are Indigenous boys. Uh, so she's got like two black boys and two white boys. So she says, when I go to the park with the four boys, I get some very strange looks because, you know, you've got two black ones and two white ones. So she says I get some uh, very odd odd looks from some people. But she's a, an amazing human. So, I mean, yeah. So anyway, so I'm doing the boxing class with her and she's holding the pads and I'm beating her up and all that good stuff and vice versa. And we're getting along great, having a chat. And so, you know, each week, you know, I meet up with her at the gym and we're talking and whatnot. And she's telling me about her husband and her kids and all that sort of stuff. And oh, okay, great. But she's speaking to me like really friendly. And I'm like, like I, I know her, but I'm like, like she's speaking to me like we know each other. And I don't know who, who on earth this woman is. And so finally, after six months, I'm like, I'm, I don't mean to be rude, Shelley, but do we know each other? Like, and she's like, <laughs> I'm Shelly Marsh. I grew up like Michael's my brother. I grew up like four houses down from you. I'm like, oh my God. Cause obviously now she's been married and changed the name and all that sort of stuff. And I, oh, what? I just had like, it just did not, cause I mean, I've not seen the woman in 30 years and it hadn't like, I, I don't know. It just hadn't, the penny hadn't dropped that it was her. And so ever since then, uh, we've been really firm friends. Her and she, Ben, her husband is like the nicest dude you'd ever want to meet. Her kids are really great too. So, yeah, they're a lovely family. And if ever I need any kind of assistance, like through COVID and stuff, 
because uh, obviously being super fit, she would all the gyms were closed, but she would take me out for runs uh, because I I just oh okay so that's Shelly yeah so I have a lot of energy so she would she would just uh, she used to say I was like a greyhound that just needed running out so because I've just got too much too much energy which is why I have to go to the gym each morning to work out all of that excess energy before I can start the day so. Uh, yeah, so yeah, she, she's just the most uh, amazing human with what she does in her own life and what she does for others and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, she's been a huge support of mine as well. Her and Ben, I should say, not just Shelley, but Ben as well, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're uh, really solid human beings and they've uh, helped and supported myself and Beer Nuts for many, many years. I mean, because it is a lot of trust. I mean, again, I'm very respectful of people's private space, you know, but there's a lot of trust going into somebody's house with a bunch of strangers, a film crew to make a movie and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you're going to want to know the person and make sure they're not going to be jerks in your house. I mean, it's your private space. And I, I, I understand that, but Shelly's super cool. So she's like, oh, I've got keys to her house. So if I need to go over there to, to do something, I let myself in. And yeah, she's, she's just uh, really cool. She's got a, a rot wheeler called Ruby, who's a massive dog. And fair dinkum, the dog, it's like a Harry Houdini dog. So I'll literally lock Ruby out the back and then she'll appear. She'll just walk through while we're filming in the lounge room. I'm like, how? Because her head's so big that she can actually undo door handles with her head. She's like this, but she's the most placid because I'm not a dog guy because, again, not being able to see, dogs kind of freak me out because they sort of run up and jump at you. And I can't see them till the very last second. So I jump uh, and then they jump again. And then it's just a vicious cycle going round and round. They think I'm playing when I'm freaking out. So, but Ruby doesn't do that at all. Like she's a massive dog, but like she, one time she literally walked through a shot and just collapsed on the, on the, the tiles of the lounge room to just have a sleep. Like there's a bunch of strangers in her house and she just walks around <laughs> Has a look around. Oh, yeah, it's all right. And just goes goes for a sleep. We're like Ruby, get up, get out. So, yeah, <laughs> she's a lovely dog. I got to say, beautiful dog, wonderful temperament. Nice. Well, apart from making high quality entertainment, <clears throat> do you still do a podcast? I saw that there's been a. It's been a while since you've had an episode. Yeah, no, that's very true. I've, I've had trouble uh, finding guests because I, I don't want to. I'm not going to hire the studio just for one person. So uh, I only, as you well know, because you've been on the podcast, I do about 20 at a time uh, in a day. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got 80 uh, episodes up. So if anybody hasn't listened to the podcast, there are 80 episodes there that can keep them uh, mildly entertained. Each episode goes <laughs> for like 20 minutes. So, you know, it'll take you a bit of time to get through them all. And then by the time you've gotten through them all, Hopefully, I'll have enough people to have jumped back into the studio and do another round. So I'm still they're still all up; they're not going anywhere, and I still want to do more episodes. But you are quite correct; there hasn't been a new episode for about two months, uh, simply because uh, it's not that easy to get guests on your podcast. It would seem, Chris. Yeah, it can be challenging. Yeah, people are jerks. I, I would say it can be challenging to get high quality guests, or even like the middle line guests. <laughs> Well, again, again, it's I'm very picky, you know. I don't like. I've had people. This is this is a funny part. Like, uh, you know, I, back when you know uh, before I had a podcast, you know, uh, 
much like yourself, I emailed you and said, hey, Chris, my name's Goth from Beer Nuts Productions. This is my shit. Can I come on your podcast? And you're like, yes, you can. And I'm like, great. But so I've literally over the years of like the last 10 years, I would have emailed like literally thousands of podcasts to get on to promote my wares. And very few of them will A, have the decency to reply and then B, actually say, yes, come on the podcast. So I thought to myself, wrongly, I might add, I thought to myself, wow, man, these podcasts, they must be like overrun with guests. It must be so easy because everybody must want to come on and promote their shit. I mean, because it's hard to get on because they just don't reply or they say no. And wow. (laughs) And then I start a podcast and I'm asking people, do you want to come on the podcast? Nah. Oh, okay. So it's like, I don't. I don't understand how, like, A, why people who have podcasts would refuse guests and then B, why you wouldn't want to go on a podcast to promote whatever it is that you're doing career-wise. It just, neither of those things make sense to me because I want to go on podcasts to promote myself. I have a podcast and I want people to come on and have a chat to them because people are interesting. uh, The world is a, is a, a place that I just do not understand. I, I'm right there with you. Although, as someone who does get pitches a lot, there are just some where I'm just like, I, I'm I'm deleting before I fall asleep. <laughs> it's just, like, I'm sorry, not interested. <laughs> oh, well, that, that was the other, I think it was you a little while ago who asked me, like, when you email a guest to come on your podcast, you know, what do you do? And it's just, and I, I literally, it's like five sentences because, again, they either want to or they don't. So there's no point writing a 500-word yeah. essay. I mean, they either do or they don't. So you just say, this is a situation. This is the website link. Take a listen. This is what I've done. Do you want to come on, promote your shit, or don't you? It's, it really is as simple as that. I mean, people, generally speaking in life, make things way more difficult than they need to, and that's just a, a fine example. Yeah. There is no reason. There is no logical reason for any anyone to be writing, you know, a, a ten-page diatribe on why they should become a, come on a podcast, that's not really a thing to be done. Yes. Well, Goff, as always, it is a pleasure talking with you. And every time we enter t- our conversation, I always got to find out what you're looking to watch in the cinema or on TV. So, uh, what what's uh, floating your boat right now? Well, I, I went down and I saw Amsterdam, the uh, the new David O. Russell film. Have you checked that out? I haven't, no. Well, I wasn't a fan, i got to say. I, oh. I, 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 I understand why it's bombing at the cinema, to be quite honest. I mean, it's got the greatest cast you would ever want, and there's nothing wrong with the acting. It's all fine. But it's just I found that the story wasn't gripping enough to make a film out of quite honestly it just it's a true story and it was like okay i i get it but do we really need two and a half hours to tell this tale now maybe it's a wonderful story and maybe i missed something perhaps i don't know or maybe it's a wonderful story but the film was poorly written and structured i don't know but it just it it, it dragged because it was too long man two two and a half hours for that was just far too long, long movie but it just even like there are some wonderful films out there that are three hours long, but the story needs to be like stellar. It's got to keep you in from beginning to end. And this, it just felt like it was just dragging the whole way. 
and and all the performances were great. I mean, Christian Bale is is one of my favorite actors. He's never bad. He's always fantastic. And you know that he was great. Family Guy. He he was great in what? Family Guy. Christian Bale was he in Family Guy for real? <laughs> there was that scene where he uh, when he was on Terminator Salvation and he lost his shit oh, that, at oh, the I DP. Have, yes, I have seen and, that. And yes. uh, Peter Peter Griff, they they intercut Peter Griffin responding. Yeah, they have done. <laughs> Yes, I have seen that. That is hilariously funny. Why are you talking like that? That's not nice. Why are you saying that? It is very, very funny. Uh. It is very funny. Um, the other, so at the cinemas at the moment, because it's actually here, they're leading up to school holidays, or they just had school holidays. So they're either little kiddie movies like Paw Patrol and stuff like that, or horror movies like your Halloween and stuff like that. So neither of those two genres really appeal. So there's not a lot. Uh, I did watch on uh, one of the streaming services that isn't Beer Nuts Productions, so I don't know why I even entertained such a platform being as it wasn't <laughs> Beer Nuts Productions. But I did see, I've seen it a couple of times now because I really like it, was uh, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. That's, oh yeah, that's, that was a good one. It's it's very funny in a very subtle way. I, I like it, man. Mm-hmm. And whoever is the music supervisor who chose the music for that film is a genius. The music uh, throughout it, because a lot of old song choices, but it so works. Like it's just magic. The music mm-hmm. supervisor needs a raise because he was fabulous. The songs are just great, <laughs> but yeah. The, uh, I did enjoy watching that again. It does tickle me, that film. There's something about that that I quite like. Well, Goff, as always, it is a pleasure to learn the, the, the stories behind the art, the stories behind the man, and uh, just thank you for continuing to bestow your work upon the world. Oh, crikey. Well, th- thank you, Chris. I, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on for my uh, infinity appearance on your show. It's uh, very kind of you. And uh, obviously, of course, uh, beernutsproductions.com. I haven't said that enough. So yes, beernutsproductions.com. But thank you, Chris, for having me on the program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the first time in this episode you said beernutsproductions.com. Normally, we say it ad infinitum at the beginning of the show. Now we save beernutsproductions.com to the end. Well, uh, you do have an intro to record. So I trust that the beernutsproductions.com will make it very unsubtly into the intro. Oh, I'll probably make it the title of the episode, beernutsproductions.com oh, with God. You, you so should, because that would tickle me. That would be very humorous work. <laughs> I just so desperately want to make you laugh. So <laughs> I'm sure I'll do that. <laughs> That'd be very funny. <laughs> As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Goff. Again, this man makes me laugh in all the right ways. And if you want to find all of our previous chats, you can head to the Getting Work to Work website at gettingworktowork.com. And in the right-hand navigation bar, you'll find a category that says Beer Nest Productions. And click that and you'll get all of the episodes that Goff and I have recorded together. While you're there at the Getting Work to Work website, you'll also see a brand new feature in the menu 
new cult newsletter. And it's something that I'm starting this week on Substack. I'm going to be sending out weekly emails of the episodes that I recorded and released. And hopefully people will comment on those episodes and share their favorite moments of the podcast. I hope you'll sign up at the website today. As I roll this out in the future, I'm going to be sharing new projects that I'm working on in 2023. It's going to be an awesome place to share what I'm up to. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.